Yes, folks, after that weird startup, I'm Fred McMurray. It's Thursday. It's 2 p.m. Pacific, if I remember correctly, which means this has to be... Ladies, how are we doing today? We're doing well. How are you, Fred? Stressed as normal. So what can I say? You're at baseline. Effectively, (laughs) yes. Baseline. Take it away. All right. Well, welcome to Pillars of Franchising, everybody. We've got a lively bunch today. Everybody's got a lot of energy, and we've got a great guest for you. But first, um, Kristen is traveling to IFA as we speak. So Laura and I are going to do the the word on the street today. And Laura, how are you? I'm doing really well, thanks, Elizabeth. How about you? Good. Yeah, really good. Um, And our topic today is kind of an interesting one. It's both a cautionary tale and uh, an idea that this is why you need the Pillars team on your side. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the the antics of uh, Burger IM? Sure. So Burger Eam or Burger IM, Burger Reem, um, it's originally an Israeli burger franchise um, that came to the U.S. Um, probably at least we started to see them coming in around 2015, 2016. Um, and they had really, really explosive growth. Okay. Um, and what's happened, unfortunately, over the last few years is that it's um, come out that they sort of didn't have uh, a lot of truthful statements, allegedly, in their FDD. Um, they have been found, they found themselves being prosecuted by um, the California uh, Franchise Regulatory Agency. Um, and, you know, now that that's concluded, um, in a rare, rare move, okay, this is very unusual, um, the actual Federal Trade Commission is taking action against them. It's very uncommon. Um, we bring this up not because we want to scare anyone, but, but because if you're seeing this in the headlines, because the Federal Trade Commission is taking action, uh, it is something to know is possible, but I don't think it's probably happened in <laughs> 20 or 30 years. Uh, that they've actually pursued another franchisor. Um, so, you know, they've had they had tons and tons of sales, uh, and unfortunately, you know, those enforcement actions started because there were allegations of uh, the franchisor not not fulfilling, you know, their uh, requirements. Well, they made a lot of lofty promises, didn't they, that were really kind of red flags in themselves. And I don't want to go into the red flags too much because that's what we're going to talk about in your segment today. However... Um, there were a lot of things that were a little bit suspect, so to say. They were making promises that most other brands were not making and not fulfilling them. Right. That's absolutely true. Um, and I think, too, that, you know, there just wasn't, um, at least from what I've read in the allegations, there wasn't a lot of uh, comprehensive or, you know, all-encompassing sort of disclosure-minded thinking happening <laughs> uh, when the FED was prepared. Um, you know, we say jokingly that, you know, it was my franchise or clients because I represent both sides. This is not common. This is not something that you have to worry about across the board with franchises. Everybody's not trying to pull one over on you or overpromise. Most people try to be fairly responsible with their Right. I think that's, that's absolutely the case. Um, I can think of maybe one really strange franchise, and I review, you know, hundreds and hundreds of franchises, uh, one that maybe was as strange as the allegations in here sounds like. Um, So it's definitely not, you know, something that I think everybody needs to be on the lookout for, but we are going to cover later on 
some of the you know, different things that you should be on the lookout for that are actually more likely things that you could come across. Perfect. And if you need to have a, a team of experts review anything that you're looking at, um, the Pillars of Franchising is always here for a consultation on that with Laura and our other mentors and experts. Um, but having said that, why don't we get to our guests? We've got Katie Jurgen from Wax Pot and Ray and Jerry are going to be on to talk to her. Hello. I'd like to, uh, first of all, welcome our guest, Katie. Is she, is she, yeah, there she is. She's done. Hello. And welcome to the show, Katie. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read your bio. And basically, uh, Katie is a franchise veteran. And she's held leadership roles at three of the world's largest salons, including Supercuts, Great Clips, and Sports Clips. With firsthand insight on how each of these organizations excelled or stalled, Katie has deep insight in, into principles and practices that focus on that, that focus in, invigorate operations in practically any model. Franchising is in her blood. Katie's parents were among the early Supercuts franchisees back in the 1980s, and she certainly swept her share of care as her family businesses grew from a single store to dozens of profitable locations in Northern California. The frontline family business experience helped her launch her corporate career in which she has successfully tackled a wide range of projects. So from there, I think I'm gonna let you tackle those wide range of topics, but not until I ask Jerry, what happened to your hair? <laughs> I went for a younger look, Ray. That's what we're oh. all striving for, right? Get rid of the gray as much as you can. So, well, folks, I just want to let you know, uh, this is one of my favorite things of all the time I've been on the show. I get to interview uh, one of my best friends in the world of franchising, a person that I have respected and really looked up to for many years, ever since probably the minute we met each other, we had a connection. So, Katie, thank you so much for agreeing to come on our show today. Jerry, I am so excited to be here. I was very nervous, and then I'm like, you're just talking to Jerry. You're <laughs> going to be fine. Uh, so, thank you. I'm so, so excited well, to be here. Yeah, and Katie, yeah, you're right. You're just talking to Jerry, so I think this is a good segue. Well, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about the first time you and I met and how that experience <laughs> went? I think they'll enjoy it. Yes. So I want to preface that by saying the first person that I really connected with at Great Clips was your daughter, Sam. We, she and I were in a class together, a five-day class together, and we sat together the first day and then mysteriously were not allowed to sit together. Our name tags kept being moved because she and I couldn't stop talking. And all she kept saying was, you've got to meet my dad. You've got to meet Jerry. Oh my gosh, you guys are going to hit it off. Several other people told me the same thing, especially when I told them I was going down to Iowa to meet uh, you and, and Mickey. So we we meet, we drive up to Dubuque, right? Am I saying that right? That's correct. Uh, which was what, about an hour and a half? Yeah. And talk, 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 talk the whole way, you know, make decisions about locations and what do we think? And, you know, we're, we're chatting and, and doing our thing. And on the way home, we realized that we had missed the exit to your town that I can't imagine how many times you've actually taken that exit. And because we had just been lost in our shared passion, our shared stories, our big visions, our our thoughts on uh, everything from you know how to how to make Iowa better to how to make the industry better and and just uh, really how grateful you and I both are for uh, being involved in in franchising and especially giving my two cents on being a second gen and you at that point were really just bringing the girls in so I loved those conversations as well. You know, I can't fathom, Katie, uh, two people having more things in the industry to talk about because, you know, with your experience being a second gen, you talked about my kids coming in, the fact your parents grew a very large organization with Supercuts. We were in the midst of growing a very large organization with Great Clips. Uh, you and I have huge passion for the industry, everything from education all the way up to, you know, picking real estate and taking good care of employees and things like that. So really, that's what it was about. And when we're talking to our listeners, 
tell them a little bit about just how invigorating it is and how exciting it is once you do start developing that passion and seeing, you know, your efforts start to take some, some, some merit, you know? Yeah, I'll share with you uh, the, the story that I still remember, and I have several of them, of my mother, really, as she was growing her business. She started in Fresno, California, which is the, the Central Valley. She didn't have any idea how to run a business. She had been a stay-at-home mom for a while, divorced my dad. He, w- he was still around, uh, you know, very amicable. She was trying to start a real estate career and had the opportunity with my now stepfather, they had been friends literally since high school, to build sweat equity and supercuts. And so she went down, started hiring, doing the supercuts thing. And I can remember her coming back and telling us stories about the, the hairstylist who was able to leave the bad relationship and move into her own apartment. The hairstylist who bought a brand new car and never thought she would be able to buy a car. The, the young girl who sobbed when she was made a salon manager and said, because I didn't go to college, I was the black sheep. And now being able to go tell my parents that I'm going to run a business, I never imagined this for myself and they're going to be so proud. So it was just this story after story after story that I guess I thought was unique to my mom because, you know, I think my mom pretty great. And then as, as my world expanded and as I met more owners, realizing that not all, but so many are as passionate about that part of the business as you are, as my mom is. She's 40 years as a supercuts owner. And for me, that is also what was exciting. Like when I met Sam and she was getting ready to come into the business, I mean, it was just like my energy pot was, you know, filled up again because I, I was so excited for her to be able to have that experience. So to me, that's kind of the secret sauce that nobody talks a lot about, but it's really the magic. Well, and it's funny you said that because I'm here thinking the same thing because so many franchisees and many of them listening here right now, if they're thinking about getting into a franchise, they're thinking about, you know, what money they'll have to invest, how quick they'll get their money back, you know, some of the hurdles they'll have to go through and those kinds of things. And many of them start getting wrapped up in how much money they'll make in the long run. But the, the bottom line is what you and I do and what many franchisees do is we really find an opportunity to raise people up from where they're at, our employees and so on. And that's generally what gets us up in the morning. It's not the money. It's not all those other kinds of things. It's that kind of stuff, right? I agree. It's the nail on the head, right? That, yeah, it, it's the opportunity to really make a difference. Mm-hmm. And it, it, my mom, again, some of the best advice she ever gave me, because I was an operator, right? So I was always looking at reports and P&Ls and daily numbers and you know how I am about data. Um, you know, more data, the better, especially if it's colored. Uh, give me a red, green, and yellow report, and I'm good for hours. But she said, when you feel like the numbers are getting you down, just go to the, to the location, right? right? Go. See happy customers. See your team taking care of your people. Recog- tell somebody they're doing a great job and see that the, the smile on their face. And I have taken that advice more time and you realize, okay, things aren't that bad. We're good. We've got the fundamentals down. We're going to be okay. And so you're right. And, and I've had really candid conversations with candidates, letting them know this stuff has to get you going. Right. Or you need a more true absentee model. That's because, exactly right. Right. Because even if you're not going to be the one, and, and I always believe you should be the one, but mm-hmm. at the beginning, if you're not going to be the one, you have to care about it enough to bring on that leader and then empower that leader to make those quick decisions, to buy that pizza on a really busy Saturday, to to loan that money, and I'm probably going to get lots of text messages on that, but, you know, my mom has a manager. She's been a manager for her for 20 years. She dropped her phone in the sink 
and she's a single mom of four. And she calls my mom, she's bawling crying. My mom's like, just go next door, use your shop credit card, we'll work it out. You can't be without a phone, mm-hmm. right? So it's that ability to take care of your people, especially mm-hmm. in today's labor market, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, and Katie, we always talk about in our family, and I know you and I think alike, we have the opportunity. We've got about 180 employees right now. We've got the opportunity not to impact the lives of 180 people, but three or four times that many through their significant others and their children and maybe even grandchildren. So it is way bigger than most people think it is. And before you and I go on, I think Ray is anxious to get a question in. So I'm going to quiet no, down for a minute. No, I, I think you guys are doing good because you're talking my subject. I love talking about it. You know? I love it when a plan comes together, right, Katie? Yeah. And, you know, a lot Absolutely. of possibilities in my mind, but you guys are doing great. You know, you know, you just, you know about delegating, which I think is a big part that a lot of owners have a hard time mm. doing. And well, and Katie has a lot in common with with Karen and David because of um, you know her leadership and the, her her training of leaders and growing of leaders. So I mean, she's she fits with all of us on this call. So I think we've got some good things to talk about. Now, Katie, I want to I want to just make a little announcement, and then I'm going to open it up to some, probably something we really need to talk about uh, because we can talk about a lot of things. But you are unique in that you have been on the franchisor side, and you've also worked on the franchisee side a couple times. So you've kind of seen it from both sides of it, and not many people get to do that. And I want you to talk now about your new endeavor. I want you to talk about Wax Pot. That is that name is just so cool. I can't. I can't even imagine, so describe it for us, will you? It's so fun. I've never done friend dev before. I'm loving it because I thought it was sales. It's not, right? It's just really educating people and talking about all things franchising, which sure. you know I can do for hours. So Waxpot is such a cool concept. It's out of Ohio, uh, started in 2016. Daniel Sad, who actually started Salon Loft, and I have an exclusive for you in a minute, um, uh, he bought a single unit, uh, wax pot, rebranded, um, has proprietary wax. They primarily use soft wax. They have um, 11 corporate stores and two operating franchise stores. So the cool thing that I, I feel like I've brought to the table is really challenging them on what is that franchise journey going to look like? And we did that, and that was super fun. And now we're really bringing it to market and looking to to expand through individual ownership or multi-unit ownership, um, focusing regionally, but just in that we don't want a single unit sitting somewhere. Um, if somebody says yes, I want three, that's great. And then in the in the next DMA over, we're going to really hit hard to have another one, just so that you get that synergy and from a support perspective, uh, it just makes sense for the the corporation to to really be out there and, and train and all of that. But well, you can't spread too thin. Uh, you just don't have the bandwidth, both financial and expertise and support, to do it too quickly. So I think that's wise. You know, um, I want you to get into it a little bit more, but. Uh, but I think it's important that everybody understand that, you know, you've worked for larger, more uh, mature brands for the most part. So tell us a little bit about, I would think, how exciting it would be to work in the position you're in right now, as opposed to, you know, a little bit of the humdrum existence of working in a mature. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it reminds me of the stories, again, that my mom used to tell, because she was in that first what I call the first generation, right? That those legacy franchisees. And it's fun for me to talk to potential franchisees about, yes, we have all the support that we believe we have all the support that you need, but we're also looking for partners to really challenge us, to really come with ideas. You know, I always use the, you know, the $5 foot long was a subway franchisees idea, right? That um, we, we are really open at this point and we can be flexible. Um, Doesn't mean we're going to change everything. Doesn't mean we're open to everything, but we're really looking for people that are excited by that, that, that certainly an emerging brand may not be as perfect as a 4,000 unit, 
but man, you're going to get somebody on the phone. You're going to have the CEO's phone number. You're going to make sure that you have the, the, um, we need to make sure you're successful, right? We, we need the validation. We need all of those things. So it's, um, it's really, really exciting. And for me, it's, I, I get to come in and feel like I get to leave a footprint, which is really, really fun. And it, it is that true entrepreneurial, everybody digging in, everybody getting a chance to be creative. And um, it is, it's a lot of fun. I don't feel like I have to go into an, an already moving train. We're a little bit building the train as it's going down the track, but that's okay. We love it. Well, you know, Katie, I would imagine it's very similar to a franchisee when they're very actively engaged in their, their units, salons, um, restaurants, whatever it might be, um, when they own two or three or four or five of them or something like that, they're in them regularly. Everybody knows them. They know all the employees, that kind of stuff. And then as they grow, it becomes a little bit more corporate. So for us, I can only say it was way more fun when we had a handful of units where we could, it was mom and dad and us doing everything, yeah. you know? And it's still really rewarding when you grow into those larger ones. But, you know, where you're at right now, it's still that whole, I'm engaged with everything. I've got my fingers on everything. I feel like I'm a part of everything. So I'm guessing it's very similar. Yeah, it's very, very similar. That's a great analogy. It's, um, it's very much so. And, uh, you know, everybody's talking to everybody on the leadership team. And, you know, everybody's really, um, really excited. And, you know, everybody wakes up every day asking themselves, how can we make this brand even better and more appealing? And how can we make sure that these franchisees not only are successful, but they're loving it, right? We, we want them to never regret this decision for a minute. And um, so building those relationships and making sure that they feel super comfortable and you can call anybody, it doesn't, here's your person, but hey, you can call me anytime. So it is, and you know, as things get bigger, you can't give everybody your cell phone number. Yeah. Yeah, you literally exactly give right. everybody your cell phone number, but, um, but <laughs> text me, don't call me, text me, that's exactly. all I can handle. Um, Katie, having, having been around the Energizer Bunny, which is Katie, for so long, and really, uh, you know, you recharge everybody around you, I can only imagine, you know, what impact you're having on the, 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 the owner, the, the franchisor, and his team, and those kinds of things, during those meetings. So um, I, I think they've chosen well in helping, having you be a part of that. I'm excited for it. I want to transition a little bit because we're going to run out of time and you and I could talk forever. I want to transition to a little bit of a conversation about IFA, the International Franchise sure. Association. I know I'm in San Diego right, right now. I got to start doing stuff at the thing tomorrow and you're headed this way uh, in two days. So yeah. I'll see you out here in San Diego. But talk to me a little bit about your thoughts after being around IFA for many years and, you know, being involved at different levels and that kind of stuff. Talk to me about your thoughts about, you know, the organization, what they stand for, what their mission is, and what it does for, you know, franchising overall. Uh, thank you for that question. I was on a call yesterday. There's sort of a casual group of, of women in franchising clubhouse and, and every week there's oh, yeah. a topic and I jump in and listen. And yesterday it was a lot of how to prepare for the IFA and how to make sure that you get the most out of it. And we ended up talking about, you know, shoes and, and temperature and, you know, things like that. And one of the, the women on the call said, I have a new employee and she has tattoos and I've never been to an IFA. Should she cover them up? Is that going to be weird? And Patty Rother said the most beautiful thing that to me really sums up the IFA. And she said, come as your most authentic self. Because the majority of the people are going to appreciate it. You're going to be more comfortable. You're going to get more out of it and you're going to contribute more. And I thought it was it so summed up what I love about the IFA that I have found nothing but generous, abundant minded. And I don't necessarily mean financially abundant. I mean, you know, that there's enough customers for everybody. There's, you know, we're really here to make the world of franchising better. And I, I'm so excited about this agenda. I think that the IFA really has outdone themselves with 
the the tracks and that I I have I'm bringing some new people to franchising salon lofts which we're we're introducing into the world of franchising and I'm bringing their executives and I did a whole table of where they should go and what they should do because it, it there's so much to choose from so uh, you know I just think the IFA obviously the the government work that they do the lobbying all that incredible work I sleep better at night knowing they're in our corner um, but it's gosh what just an incredible group of people and I can always count on learning something um, well, you know it, it I agree with you I couldn't have said it better in fact I say it every week so that's why I set you up to say it because they need to hear it from other people but that literally is the IFA is you know I sit on committees with Gordon Logan who yeah. is the founder of Sport Clips yes. and a direct competitor with Great Clips. And yet Gordon and Rhoda Olson, who is the mother of all mother. Yes. Great Clips, uh, are best friends. They text each other and talk all the time. Gordon and I talk about things regularly. And you don't find those kinds of things with true competitors very often. But at IFA, it's the franchising world and what's best for us. And let's all work together on it. So Katie, I love this. They're going to kick us off because you and I, like I said, can talk forever. We'll <laughs> I feel like again. we just got started, Jerry. I, I know. We'll bring you back again. And we'll do it again another time. Okay, Katie? I would love it. Thank you Thank so you much, my friend. I will see you uh, this week. How do people get a hold of you? Oh. Thank you, Fred. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, Katie Yergan, Y-E-A-R-G-A-N, and uh, Katie at FranchiseConnectionUS.us. But I'm a big LinkedIn, love LinkedIn, so find me there. It's probably the easiest thing. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. It's great. Thanks, Katie. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Ray. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y.com. All right, we were back. That was a great energy. Like I said, everybody's got a lot of energy today, so it's fun when everybody's up and having a good time talking franchising. And the IFA, I think, is putting a little injection of excitement into the air. Um, Laura, back to our topic that we started with in the beginning. Um, I think it's you know it's important to be aware that not everybody is is somebody you want to work with, um, but in franchising that is an unusual thing. However, when you are new. Um, to the process of, of looking to buy. Uh, you have some advice from some of your experience and your um, legal expertise that can help people look for some red flags in, in looking at a franchise. So what have you got for us? Yeah, absolutely. I thought I would go through kind of, um, you know, five top five things to, to watch for when you're evaluating a, a new franchisor. And um, I actually would say I start even before the legal document, before the FTD. Um, and that's really looking and listening to what they're telling you or giving to you as marketing material, mm -hmm. right? Um, are they having, you know, they're saying one thing maybe on, on their FAQ on their website, but if you, you know, sit at the, at the table with the salesperson, are they secretly writing things down on the cocktail napkin to tell you, you know, a different, different side of it? Um, you know, are they telling you maybe, oh yeah, you know, you can make such and such amount of money, but that's not in the document, and we'll talk more about those item 19s in a minute, too. Um, but I think a lot of how they're conducting themselves at first, before you're even reviewing the franchise disclosure document, is really important to consider. Um, you know, if they seem really smooth, <laughs> sometimes that's not a good thing. Um, you can know your concept, but you don't want to necessarily be with someone like that. Um, the so, too cool for school syndrome. Too cool for school syndrome is not a good thing. Um, 
I think the next one that you always want to look at is really looking at the estimated initial investment. Okay, and this is a chart that appears in item seven. Um, it is supposed to be very comprehensive of every expense that they could imagine you will incur um, from the moment you sign the franchise agreement. So that starts with paying your initial franchise fee, maybe some marketing fees, things like you know estimated investments on construction if you have a retail premises. Um, it could be, you know, if you had a mobile business that you have to buy a bunch of vans, right? You know, you have to get vehicles, any kind of things that you're going to need. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting reading a lot of these to see what typically gets left off. Um, so we usually don't see enough working capital, right? Um, we don't see enough, um, you know, what's required to be disclosed as additional funds. It's always the last line in the item seven chart. And that is uh, not really usually taking into account the fact that most people, if they have an investment that's a significant size, uh, they're getting a loan, which means that they have debt that they have to be repaying. <laughs> uh, and oftentimes, you know, what they'll say if you look at the notes for the item seven chart is that this does not include any amounts for debt service. And sometimes, okay, I understand that, yes, what you're paying is your interest rate could vary. However, almost every franchisee is getting an SBA loan. So you're probably getting a, we know pretty much what you're getting as your interest rate. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one thing that we talk about a lot on the show. Most of the mentors um, believe two and a half times what they tell you you need is what you really need. So Yeah, and that's, that's, really, that's really great to hear because it means that people are getting really honest advice. Um, and, and whether, you know, you probably will still need more money for a longer period of time than that minimum three months that they legally have to give you the estimate for, which okay. is why that number... Um, that you guys are quoting makes sense. Um, yeah. So another topic that we want to make sure that is being really thoroughly looked at um, is the territory description. Okay, mm -hmm. um, there is no one answer for what makes a good territory. Um, it, it really can vary, and you know, franchisees from their perspective obviously want the most territory protection they can get. I think that that um, it, it to a certain extent it's a dying breed. Right? We've all seen the pandemic where suddenly everything is everywhere. You're ordering online. It's not just about going in the store anymore, even for retail concepts. Um, and there's more and more ways that potentially a franchisor could deliver services to customers that originally were only a franchisee's customer. You know, like Jerry's concept of, uh, you know, his, his haircutting, <laughs> that's one of the final things I think that we're not going to put on the internet, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you do have to go somewhere. <laughs> but besides haircutting and maybe a few other things, um, you know, most things nowadays, you know, we're finding much more limited territories uh, than we would have even 10 years ago. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I don't, I don't go into it thinking that, you know, a more limited territory automatically is bad, but you have to understand. And, you know, I give clients examples of how potentially the franchisor could compete with the franchisee based on the exception, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's one of the big topics is to make sure that the franchisee is comfortable with that, whatever it looks like, okay? Right. Um, ongoing fees, okay? Mm -hmm. um, these are one of everybody's favorite topics. You know, this list used to be really short and now I feel like it's like four pages <laughs> in the FCD. Um, it used to just be basically, you know, like maybe one page, but now um, there's so much more technology. There's so many more vendors that are involved in franchise relationships. It's no longer the case that it's just the franchisee and the franchisor, and that's the only people out there. Um, you know, there's just a lot more opportunities for other people and other service providers to be in there. So being really confident that you have a good uh, projection right, about what all these other fees are going to add up to be. Right, uh, they and can lock into dedicated vendors or yep. uh, what your obligations are to the franchisor when you when you sign that agreement. Right, and it's it's important that you're comfortable with those. I, I also encourage, fran you know, prospective franchisees, candidates to have phone calls, you know, for a variety of topics, but one of them is to ask, you know, about all these designated vendors. Mm -hmm. Say, are you comfortable with these people? You know, are they providing good service? Do they have issues? You know, are they late on deliveries? Are they, you know, can you get them on the phone if you need to? Uh, yeah, because, you can make a deal. Are they pricing competitively? Or are yeah, you are they pricing competitively? Mm -hmm. Right. 
um, those are concerns. Those are going to be very expensive to your bottom line. Um, and then the last one, you know, it's a big one that everybody likes to talk about, and I hinted at it earlier, uh, and that's your item 19, okay? And this is your financial performance representation, okay? Um, this is where in the franchise disclosure document, the franchisor can make uh, statements, truthful statements, <laughs> about uh, what their earnings have been, about what their um, maybe different profiles of their customers, right? You know, like people tend to visit us twice, you know, twice a month, or, you know, the average person does this, or um, sometimes you get expense data, which is really helpful. Um, but I would say that for the most part, I think it's a little bit over 50% of franchises now do have some kind of item 19, mm -hmm. some kind of financial data that's in their FDD. Okay. And it varies what it is, but it's a little over half at this point. And it makes it easier for the franchisor to be able to sell their concept if they have something in there, because if they don't, then they can't give you any information, right, about what the sales are like. Um, and that's very frustrating, not only for the person who's trying to sell the franchise, <laughs> uh, like we were just hearing about, right, but it's also frustrating for the candidate because you just don't have a starting place. You're really just guessing. Yeah. Uh, you're having to do a lot of due diligence where you're calling the other franchisees, like I mentioned, and you're saying to them, okay, well, you know, what were your sales last year? What were your sales in the first year you opened? Right. You know, um, and especially with the pandemic, sometimes it's very challenging right now to find um, franchisees, you know, especially new franchisees who you feel like their numbers are comparable or you can rely on them because right. you don't know you know, there haven't been as many franchisees opening lately in most systems, and there haven't, there hasn't really been a lot of normal. <laughs> right. So we have some numbers that are skewed because of the pandemic, but hopefully that's going to be something that we overcome and move forward. And, and, you know, I would imagine another thing, some of them have been able to really take the technology and run with it. So you can look at the ones who have done better during the pandemic than the ones who just sort of stayed stuck, right? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because, um, so brands that have really heavily invested in technology, let's take Domino's for example, okay? You know, Domino's has had um, an app for a long, long time, right? Um, they have tons of funny little things you can do with their app. They have all kinds of quirky technology um, and they really use that as part of their marketing as well. Basically that it gets them in the news, you know, in trade press that they do this, okay? Um, oh, they, they, they actually delivery where you can tell them exactly where you yep. want to be here because we've done that. <laughs> right. Isn't that cool? We have all these yeah. things where they've thought of all these things and they've, they've yeah. done it. Um, but what's interesting, you know, from a financial uh, performance representation perspective is that in the past, Domino's used to have financial performance representations in their FDD. And since the pandemic started, they have actually taken them out because mm -hmm. their sales have been so high that they do not want to be held to the standard of such high performance. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's not that their sales were low and they're scared to show it. It's yeah. that they don't want anybody to think going in that they're always going to hit. Right. Because yeah. people have been ordering so much more from places like Domino's well, when they yeah. were saying, hmm. <laughs> right? Like yourself. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm all right. Well, Laura, all of this is really great information. We need to get to um, our next million-dollar mentor. But one of the things that we are here for, um, for the viewers and the audience, is, is helping you through that process. We've got Laura on our team. We've got, you know, Jerry, Ray, David, Karen, Kristen. Tons of expertise that can help you navigate this kind of, these kinds of questions if you're in the early stages of, of looking for a franchise. So feel free to reach out, um, go to pillarsoffranchising.com and fill out the contact form and we'll get back with you. Thank you so much, Laura. Karen, it's us. It's us. All right. <laughs> How about it? All of a sudden I see myself on the screen, right? <laughs> no, I didn't follow the list that Elizabeth sent out, so I wasn't sure when we were on, so I was ready. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're, we're going to talk about a topic today that's part of your book, right? It's Live It to Own It, and it's really, you're taking us through the journey, you know, the franchi franchising and the world of franchise ownership. And it's one of my favorite topics, and I know one of your favorite topics, too. It's about the people side. And you were talking with Katie earlier about that, about, she called it, I think either one of you called it the magic. And I think people are the magic. 
it's making sure you get the right people um, as part of this, this whole journey. And so um, take me through, if you, if you think about as you were thinking through this, uh, uh, this chapter and staffing and talent acquisition, what are some, some real keys that you'd like to share with us today, some key things? Well, thank you, Karen. And I know this is something near and dear to your heart, so it's really cool that you get to help me explain it. You know, um, I will guarantee you everything that people think about when they're looking to get involved in a franchise, staffing never is on the radar. They, they literally never think about that. In fact, many of them have the, you know, misguided interpretation that the franchisor will help them with that. And because of legal reasons, franchisors can help with that. So, you know, uh, most people, when they become a franchisee, have no experience in hiring. Uh, if they have had experience in hiring, uh, it wasn't their money they were spending. So the whole process was looked at completely different than it is uh, when you, it's your money you're putting into somebody. And frankly, if the franchisor you choose doesn't even give you any guidance as to, you know, what positions you should uh, outline in your hierarchy, uh, what the different positions will be doing and those kinds of things, it's really a, a little bit of a hurdle to get through that. So, you know, when I was look at, at, when I was putting that chapter together, I wanted potential franchisees to understand what that looked like before they even spent their first time. And then for those that were, you know, getting into it and getting started up, it's kind of a roadmap as to how to put it together because the franchisor may not be able to help them a lot. Absolutely. And, and even if they can help with some, as you mentioned, there's not a lot they can help. And I love it where you start with the big picture, you know, instead of just going out and just doing a bunch of hiring, I love where you're, you know, you've got to take the strategic view. You've got to really think about that and think about the different roles, the roles people will play. And, and I think, you know, as we all know, that's, that's such a critical part to, to the success and the foundation of, of the franchise. Well, you're right on. And, you know, to go along with that, you know, as a new business owner, you, you, you have this tipping point because you have to have enough staff to service your clients, patients, whatever the title is, right? So you have to have enough. And when you're hiring, many times you get so engaged in hiring you know, literally more people than you need. And then you have to learn how to schedule those people. And scheduling is actually a part of the hiring process because the conversations when you're hiring somebody will be wrapped around what hours they can work, how many hours, how many days, those kinds of things. So you got to think about scheduling when you're hiring. And, and people who have never scheduled before don't understand that now that you own your business, you've got to have enough customer, you got to have enough um, staff to take care of the customers, but you also have to worry about overhead. So if you've got too many staff, you might take great care of your customers, but you're losing money with everyone that you take care of. So it's a really fine line that is a learned process. It's actually a science, not just something somebody can bless you with, which is why we kind of take them through that process in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so critical because you can't, I mean, that, that's when your biggest expenses, your people expense. And, and really making sure not only do you have the formula, but you're taking a look at that on a regular basis to make sure you're, you're falling within your, you know, kind of within, within your expected guidelines. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'd be curious what David has to say when he comes on, but with uh, certainly with both of my businesses and I think with most, you know, retail or customer service related type businesses, personal service, um, you know, many people think rent is your highest expense, but I, I know in particular in my joint clinics and in the great clips, uh, rent is probably my second largest expense, but it's like a quarter of what the expense is for payroll, maybe a fifth or something like that. It's, you know, the difference between first and second is huge. Absolutely. So maybe if you're dealing with a much larger, you're dealing with a much larger location, like a very large restaurant, maybe it's backwards, but certainly with most average size retail or personal service organizations, it's going to be your highest expense by far. So very critical to consider all those things. You know, one of the things I also like that you, you were talking about in the book, and I've always had the philosophy that you always need to be thinking about, like, hiring. You, you know, what's your, who's your next person? You, you, you're really out there looking for people. Because as we know in this market today, that's tough. It's really tough to find great people. So you have to always be on the lookout for it. And I loved it because you really gave a lot of strategies, you know, in, in, in the book about what, what to do to get people. 
Well, yeah, you know, in the time we're in right now, people should buy the book who are already franchisees just to get that stuff because, Agreed. you know, we talk about a lot of different ways to recruit that most people have never thought about in the past. So that's a critical piece of it. And then um, how to micromanage a little bit on your hours to get one or two extra hours per person so that you don't need as many heads because right now there aren't a lot of people out there looking for work. So it's very difficult. Two things I'll add before we close this out. Churn in every business, but in particular in retail-oriented business, there's always going to be people that take a different job because, you know, they maybe they make more money, but a lot of times it's because they want to do something new. So we in our businesses are always hiring. We always find room for new people because you're going to have some churn to deal with. And if you're an optimist like I am, Karen, you want to staff for growth. Yeah. We don't want to staff just for the customers we have today. We want to staff for the customers we're going to have tomorrow. So when somebody good comes along, we're going to hire them, and then we'll find the customers to pay for them, not the other way around. So um, I know they're going to kick us off, Karen. So I, I'll, do you have anything else you'd like to have me talk about quickly before I get off? No, I, I think you've, you've covered some of the key points, some of the key points, and I'd really recommend that if, for those of you out there that haven't bought the book, definitely uh, the Live It to Own It by Jerry Akers. Uh, pick one up. Again, I, I've actually, I've been on the franchisor side, the franchisee side. There's a lot I'm learning. <laughs> so, so thank you. Thank you for sharing your insights. Thanks a lot, Karen. We'll see you next week. Thank you. I almost got away with him not uh, forgetting to mute. Um, <laughs> great stuff as usual from Gary and Karen. Um, lots of fun information uh, to lead up to the IFA and get everybody excited. Um, don't forget to take a look at our sponsors, Franchise Show 247. Um, great online platform, 24 hour a day, seven day a week um, platform where you can display anything to do with franchising for your business, whether you're a franchisee, a franchisor, or a vendor, or a franchise professional. I'm also a Titus Center for Franchising, one of the few um, educational facilities that has a business degree with a focus in franchising, which is very exciting. Um, so be sure to check both of those out. Also, if you're at the IFA, um, be sure to take lots of photos and videos, send them our way, um, tag us online, and we will do the same for you. It'll be a fun way to get those who cannot attend participating and, and get the word out about what everybody is busy doing at the IFA in San Diego. Up next, we have got Karen. We're going to discuss um, going on with your hiring series, all about onboarding, which I think... Um, is a, it's one of the most critical elements because if you don't have a good onboarding process and you've got a lot of lost employees, right? Oh, it's true. You know, and people spend, you know, talk with Jerry about this, right? Where you've got the whole staffing, the talent acquisition, you get all these great people. You spend so much time and so much money getting the right people there. And then so many times people kind of stop there and go, okay, okay, come on, you're in here now, go sit with so-and-so, go do this. And there's really not a, an onboarding process or, or plan in place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people wonder, well, why do these good people leave? And many times it starts with, with day one on, on how you begin to you onboard them and what, is that, what does that plan look like? Right, because you, if they're not onboarded properly and they don't have the proper training and resources, then they're going to be set up to feel whether they do or not, whether you think they're failing or not, they're going to feel like they're failing, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So I think one of the, one of the key things, I have several tips, tips on the whole onboarding journey is, you know, you mentioned the, the, the feeling included, the, the belonging, the, you know, right, because you want to feel like you're contributing. So making sure that early on that you really, um, as, the, as the franchisee, that you're creating this culture of support for them, mm -hmm. making them feel welcome on day one. It's if you have someone, I don't even put the word mentor, if you've got someone that's there, a buddy, whatever you want to call it, to say this is your person that you can you can connect with because many times as a franchisee you're busy you're doing a lot of different things right sure they have someone to go to and it's and it's actually I would say it's also a um, a positive person someone who actually is um, uh, lives the culture there so making sure you've got that because then you're creating great habits early on so well and, yeah and, and don't, to, to leave, so take off that to, to find someone who's very dedicated to the brand themselves so that you're teaching. Yeah. That, that whole branding goes through the employees. Absolutely. And then it also gives someone else an opportunity for their growth, right? Because they're, like, they're also included. So it really does 
uh, kind of uh, kill a lot of kill, kill a lot of what is it kill kill two birds with one stone? And so you can provide opportunities, and and then they can see that as well. So I think another one is making sure you've got an onboarding plan or an onboarding journey. Mm-hmm. A key piece because again, so many times when someone comes on board, I want to be successful, right? I'm I'm new in this role, so how can I be successful? And if it's if it's written down. If you really have touch points for um, here's where we're going to be, you know, touching base with you. Mm-hmm. If it's whether if it's weekly, if it's every other week, making sure that they're learning what they need to learn. Um, also connecting with them on that on that I guess that really that one to one basis, but also in, even putting in there some of the key things they need to do in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Kind of what does success look like, and outlining that early on. Absolutely, because then they don't feel like they have to know it all at one time. If you set these benchmarks, you give them a little bit of leeway to feel like they have time to learn, right? Absolutely. And I think it's also good, for example, if you have someone who maybe isn't catching on. It's mm-hmm. the high performance is good for someone if they're not catching on. You'll, you'll catch on that early. How many times have you had it where, where all of a sudden, maybe in month five or six, it's like, wait a minute, this person's really not performing. Mm-hmm. It's really good to know that in, in month one. And part of that is really making sure you've got those metrics, the metrics in place, and that you have that common cadence of just having conversations with them. And you'll be able to even detect early on kind of what's working, what's not working, because you might be able to make some tweaks early on as well. Well, exactly. You can either tweak your process or, or how they're learning. Maybe they don't learn the way that you're teaching. I mean, there are so many little things that you can do to help that person become more successful without having to say, forget it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you part out of it, forget it. Yeah. Exactly. And then you've got the learning experience, you're right, because we all do learn different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so many times, you know, I know with franchising, a lot of times you'll have like a certain, you know, model, there'll be processes and everything. But then once you get them in the franchise and they're working in the franchise, you do have that. But then some people will say, well, just go sit with so-and-so. Or, or they'll put them in a room and say, read all this information. Or take this, take this online learning. Right. <laughs> like, whoa, it's a little overwhelming. So making sure that you really vary the learning experience and mm-hmm. also find out from them, okay, how do you learn best? So you can also adapt to that as well. Yeah. Great advice. Did we get everything covered, Karen? I think, I think we did. I think the key thing is just thinking through the strategic pieces and making sure that you've got a plan in place so when you've, you've hired the right person, you're ready. Absolutely. And then for me, as a communicator, always having that two-way communication where your new employee feels empowered to ask the question, no question is too stupid, you know, rather get it right than, than have you wonder and flounder and waste all that time. So, you know, all of those things and, and the overarching thing, too, is that communication from both directions, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Karen, thank you so much. Good information as usual. And um, the last segment we have is going to be Jerry and David. David's got an update for us because I think you're going to be off the week after and we need to find out what's going on. Jerry, you've changed. (laughs) I'm assuming, Ray, you've got me, right? (laughs) I met Ray and David. Too many of you. I can't keep straight. That's okay. So, So while Ray's trying to, you know, recover from the shock of popping up on the screen, I'll, I'll, I'll go forward. Um, so again, ironically, my, what I was going to say was just this, be prepared for surprises. So, <laughs> so, so I guess that means in all areas. So be prepared for surprises. And, and, and I was thinking about this, and again, for prospective franchisees, prospective franchisees out there, nothing is going to go smooth. Right. I mean, you, you think it's going to because I bought a franchise, so everything's going to be right down the line. Everything's going to be smooth. It's not. It's still going to be real life. And so you have to be prepared for that. And I've seen way, way too many franchisees um, when things kind of go off the track, already start to get a negative attitude or, 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 and, and take a bad approach. They're upset with the franchisor. They're upset with the contractor. Right away, they go right there and have almost default to a buyer's remorse, they're trying to screw me type mentality. Don't do that. That's not going to, that's not going to accomplish anything and things are going to happen. So for instance, you have it, usually you have an equipment list, franchisor gives you an equipment list and you have a build out, you know, and, and you put that out for bid for the construction, they give you a cost. Well, in this particular case where I said, be ready for surprises, I overlooked something on the equipment list. I assumed 
that little piece of equipment was built was built into the cost of the build out. Then I got a bill for the piece of equipment. I went, whoa, what happened here? Well, my mistake because I wasn't thorough enough. So point being is nobody got ripped off. It was just something I assumed was already built into, into another construction cost. So those are the things that are going to happen. But understand, be prepared for them. Be as thorough as you can all the time and, and make sure that, that you, you know, going through your checklist, most franchisors will give you a checklist. I've got mine here as, as, you know, you know, as you're building out, as you're going through it and stay on top of it. That's the biggest advice I can give you because there's going to be curveballs. There's going to be surprises. Um, and speaking of build out, one of the things I think I mentioned earlier, but I want, I want, it's really important for new, new franchisees. You can't always get it, but I would, I would suggest this when you're, when you, when you're bidding out your project to the contractors, ask for two things. Understand something called change orders and understand you have to ask and say, what is the impact of the change orders and, 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 and how is that, how are those going to be handled? And the reason I say that is the plans look good on paper. Everything looks great. Then when you get into your space, all of a sudden, oh, you know what, something's three, three inches off or six inches off. Oh, you know what, I really wanted an outlet here. It makes more sense to add, a, to add an outlet. And now you're adding costs. You're not going to do that for free. So you need to understand, you need to get clear with the contractor how our change order is going to be handled. The other thing is not really, nobody's really going to do it at this, in, in this day and age right now. But you want to have what I call a, a drop-dead date or, or a penalty clause. So you're not pushed, especially if you're not a large project, like ours is a thousand square feet. If, if you have hired a contractor that has several different projects going on at once, you might get pushed to the bottom. So it's good to have a penalty clause to say, what happens when this project isn't completed by X date? Are you giving, are you refunding me 10%, 5%, whatever? Those are all negoti negotiable. I don't think you're going to get very far with that now because of all the issues, supply chain, et cetera, and, and help issues, but it's something to always think about and it doesn't hurt to try for. So, um, uh, and one more thing too, I, I put this down here because this is my last week here in Florida and I'm going to head up to Michigan and get our, get our boots on the ground so we can start really developing that area, marketing to the area and getting to, getting to know people. We did sign an LOI for a second location, but Here's another area. If you're out of the area the way I am and you're, you're trying to get some marketing going and you don't really know the area, you need to get some help and, some, and, and have some cooperation among people. So one of the things I was looking at was buying a billboard. Well, the, they said, hey, here's the price. Here's the traffic count. Oh, it's great billboard the whole bit. Because of my experience, I went, I'm going to take it another step further, even though the person I hired to buy the billboard, um, I trust implicitly, he's still relying on the information from the person selling the billboard and, the, and he's not in the area either. So I, so I had my contract, I said, do me a huge favor when you're up there, drive down to where this billboard is, let me know if it's, you know, if it's something we should pursue. And sure enough, it wasn't. There was another sign from a business right in front of it blocking the billboard. You know, that was almost a you know, $5,000 mistake, depending on how long I would have purchase the contract. So go the extra mile. It's your business. It's your money. Take the time. Um, know that it's not going to go perfectly, but take the time to ensure that, that you're not making those mistakes. Absolutely. And that's all I had. Um, I'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks, uh, I guess, from the cold. David, David, you're going to have to change your shirt when you go back up north. You know that. I know. That's why I wore it. It's, it's my Florida shirt. It's my last day in Florida or for the show. Yep. So I figured it's what better what better shirt to wear for this. One comment is I want to make is uh, probably one of the most exciting times in your when you buy a franchise is simply when you start. To to my to, uh, uh, my wife and I we had so much fun finding our office space, uh, filling it up with chairs and desks and pictures and stuff like that. I, I think it, it, it is, it's one of the biggest rewards that, you know, you get when you start a franchise. So one of the things I do want to do is I want to thank everyone for uh, joining us on the show today with our guest, Katie Jurgen. Please be sure to like, share, and comment on this episode. 
As always, thank you to Laura Liss, our franchise attorney, Karen Kinsey-Sword, and David Kajanich, and Jerry Akers, our million-dollar mentors for the insight and wisdom. I am Ray Pillar, one of the million-dollar mentors, and this has been the Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here.